Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC Sports, brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com, the go-to provider for all your Tar Heel gear. Welcome to the latest Inside Carolina podcast. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley, joined by Greg Barnes, Luke Buxton, and Gregory Hall on the wheels of steel. That means it is on the beat. And of course, as always, we're live on YouTube streaming. So if you're joining us there, welcome to the show. If you're listening later, uh, you missed out. You might have missed out on some Inside Carolina swag. Um, but one thing you can't miss out on is Johnny T-Shirt and JohnnyT-Shirt.com. Great sponsors of Inside Carolina. Great friends of Inside Carolina premium subscribers, especially. And also, they've got all the Carolina gear you could ever imagine. Baseball gear. Uh, tailgating gear home gating gear and of course all the football basketball and all the sports that you could possibly ever want shop them online at johnnytshirt.com or shop them in person on franklin street they need your support as we do support them you support us and vice versa johnny t-shirt johnny t-shirt.com all right fellas i'm gonna bring you all in here carolina we'll start on this one carolina football news spring practice in full effect um, a couple questions on the football board we'll get into, but Greg, I'm going to start with you first. Mac Brown, certainly um, very excited about the team he has. We talked about that. We talked about Bateman and Longo and how they're uh, sort of giddy over what they've got coming in. But today, Mac Brown uh, talked about some things they need to shore up. And with Choffrey Brown getting hurt, um, it's going to give Carolina a time to figure out who these receivers are going to be for this team. What have you learned? What have you seen in the first week of practice? Well, I think the biggest thing about this spring practice and how UNC is approaching it um, is that, that Max said it, spring practice is really key for teaching. Um, and when you're trying to build depth, because depth was an issue last year, uh, that's, that's critically important. And I think fans are designed to think, okay, you know, Who's, who's working with the ones? Who's working with the twos? What's, what's the depth chart right now? And what Mac is, has said uh, publicly, he said privately, he said it in different ways. The goal right now is not about depth charts. The goal right now is to find out who can play. And for the young guys, it's about learning what is required of them. And as he said a couple times today, and as he said last week, uh, you, before you even think about competing for a position, learn the position and this is the time to do that and so once you get into training camp when you're four weeks away from the opener against virginia tech then you can really say okay now i know what i'm supposed to be doing now i'm going to compete for playing time um, now having said that i think that's very very key having said that that's critical for the wide receiver position that's critical for offensive line uh running back and a couple of positions on defense uh but you you mentioned Chaffrey brown's injury uh, Bo Corrales is also out, and I think Bo Corrales is probably penciled in as the number one guy on at outside receiver. 
Um, I thought it was refreshing that Mac said that, that Josh Downs has been uh, not good, but he's been great, which a lot of us were expecting that jump anyway. But to actually hear that four days into practice kind of solidifies him in the slot. So now you're looking for outside receivers, um, and you don't have Bo and you don't have Choffrey. I, they know what they've got with Bo, and I think once he comes back, I'm not sure if he's going to be ready for, for the spring game by then or not. They originally hoped he would be. Uh, but Choffrey's not that case. Like he, he played some last year. He really needed the spring to kind of cement himself as a legitimate threat there. Um, you know, Emory Simmons is there. Who's really kind of a technician. They like him. Uh, you know, Blackwell's been dealing with a little bit of an injury that he's coming back from. So there, there's a lot of playing time available and, you know, we're not talking about depth chart stuff. We're just talking about learning these positions and, putting yourself in position once training camp comes around to really be able to, to compete for playing time. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I think trying to figure out who's going to be at the outside receiver is a question mark for Phil Longo and Lana Galloway right now. And, and losing Choffrey uh, is, is pretty bad for him, but it also hurts the team. Let me and sit with you, Greg. Hold, hold on, Gregory. It's something that people ask me about, and I heard Mike mention it, but Bo Corrales' injury, is that the same deal he's been dealing with, or is this something fresh, Greg? No, he had a sports hernia. God, hernia. I can't even talk. Yeah, hernia. <laughs> uh, I was going to say the, the technical term, and I can't pronounce that, so we'll go with uh, sports hernia. Uh, and that – I've got a story coming out about that this week. Uh, but essentially – he was, he was running a route against Patrice Renee last year, uh, tried to stop on a dime, and really felt something kind of pull. And he was going to try to play through it. He played a couple games. And once he decided he was coming back, uh, they went, decided to go ahead and do the surgery. They did the surgery the first week of December, um, and it's just a, a slow recovery time. So that's, that's kind of what it is. He's just trying to get back to, to full, full health with that injury. I had one of those when I was six months old. I recovered pretty quickly, so I'm sure Bo can get back to full speed shortly. Did it you always... say six months old? Yeah, I did. <laughs> <laughs> Greg my was wife, like, yeah, yeah, I agree, yeah. I agree. My, my wife did the same thing, so whatever it is about elite athletes and, and young infants. <laughs> yeah. It always reminds, makes me think of somebody said he pulled a growing. Right. But it's a little bit more serious than that. Gregory, go ahead. I cut you off earlier. No, yeah, no. Sorry, I didn't know you were going to go into Bo's injury. But to Greg's point about Choffrey, um, what's overlooked is he was the number three receiver last year as far as wide receivers in yardage. Um, not catches, because uh, that went to Javante, I believe, as far as third in, in catches, and Michael Carter. Um, but he had 15 catches and 337 yards, which is – I mean, obviously, Diami had over a thousand, and Daz was just approaching seven hundred. But Choffrey showed that he has that capability of being kind of a deep threat guy as far as yards after catch, and even uh, I don't know the technical. I'm blanking on the statistical term, but just yards through the air in general. Um, but yeah, 15 catches is a small sample size, so there's kind of a little bit of proven ability. But they were really looking forward to Choffrey in the spring, especially with Bo out. Um, just competing because Josh Downs has stepped up, as Greg said, and he was so impressive on Saturday. I mean, Josh Downs was making uh, Jacarius Conley and the Nichols and anyone that was asked to guard the slot. I mean, Josh Downs was getting separation on whoever was guarding him. Um, And in one, he just had two defenders kind of looking around like, where is he? And Josh was 
in the end zone over the middle of the field while walking in. Um, so yeah, he was, he was really impressive. So that's kind of what they expected Choffrey to be. So Choffrey being out definitely hurts what they were looking for at receiver. And, and Gregory, uh, we were sitting beside each other at the uh, practice on, on Saturday, who was pretty, pretty locked in at the number two slot receiver. Um, wasn't it uh, Olsen? No, Steven. No, it was Gosnell. It was right. Olsen was on the edge, which I was kind of surprised that he was on right. the edge, but it was Gosnell. That's and he and I was impressed with him. Um, he was pretty, pretty clearly the number two guy slot, and uh, he's a lot quicker than I thought. Good speed. He's coming off the same kind of groin injury that uh, Bo's dealing with, but uh, that was a kid that really stood out to me. It was his Good quickness that too. we he were made- kind of. Go ahead, Luke. Sorry. Yeah, I was going to say, he had one catch to the sideline, threw it behind him, and he had to go and kind of turn his body and make a turning catch, got his feet in. I did not think he was going to be a guy who came in and made an impact day one, and he surprised me, as Greg said. Him and what are are your thoughts on Emory Simmons? Because I think Emory showed some really good flashes, and then Mack in his press conference today didn't seem so sure-footed on him. Do you think he's going to have some numbers this year? I think Emory Simmons is heading down a path kind of like Antoine Green of having a high ceiling, but not living up to those expectations. Um, Just based on what Mac Brown said today, kind of when he was talking about receivers, like he mentioned Gavin Blackwell before he really mentioned Emory Simmons when uh, Blackwell had a limited Jersey on has kind of been dealing with, with a little bit of being banged up. Um, But I think Emory Simmons needs to break that threshold of expectations to kind of avoid having what, Anton Green season last year was as far as not really being trusted by the coaching staff. Greg, do you do you agree? I don't know that I do. Um, I, I look at it from a, from a different angle. And, Every and, time Greg rolls his eyes in the back of his head, I'm like, okay, no, well, just give me out, give me I, out. Um, I've been married for 18 years, so that's just <laughs> that's just inherent in me. Um, I, I think Emory, I think his ceiling is lower than some of these other guys. And I think he probably gets more out of his potential than the other guys do. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons the coaches like him is because he does a lot of things very well. Um, I, I think with Antoine Green, I think his ceiling's through the roof, right? But I think – I don't think he's anywhere close to kind of his potential. And I think that's where some of the frustration with the coaching staff comes. I think as some of these guys come in and they blow it out – that's going to knock Emory down a little bit. Um, but I think Emory's a guy they can rely on to do all the little things right. But there's other splash receivers who, if they can reach potential, uh, they, you, they, can, they can do more damage. And I think it's good to have Emory. But I agree, you, Max wording today, that's probably one of the first times I can, I can remember him not having glowing praise of, of Emory. And it wasn't like it was a, a critique. But yeah, it wasn't it wasn't the normal you know, Emory's doing everything right. It was more of you know, he needs to come along, which which was interesting. And, and, and I think Carolina, if they can get a lot of production on Antoine Green, will be huge. I mean, from what I've heard from guys inside the program, before his leg injury, he was the guy. He was the guy everyone thought was gonna be, you know, the the Diamis and the Dads in Chapel Hill. And then since then it just hasn't been the same. Um, and Sam has had great praises of Antoine in, in his press conferences throughout the years. So, you you know, you got Bo, you got Josh, you got, you know, Joffrey when he returns. Can you get really good production out of Gosnell? 
uh, Simmons and then Antoine, I think will be the key for, for next year. One of those guys that when Greg, Greg, you talking about guys who can kind of make a splash, some of the younger guys, I mean, the best catch of the day that I saw on Saturday was JJ Jones. I mean, he straight up mossed his defender. Um, I'll have, I'd have to go back in the notes to, Oh, it was over Obi Egbuna. I mean, he on a comeback route and Egbuna was face guarding him very, very well. But JJ just turned around and literally jumped over him and grabbed the ball. Um, so that's another young guy that could surprise people if he continues to work hard. And with having Choffrey and Bo out, um, that certainly helps kind of open spots to shine, at least in the spring. So I think from a fan perspective, people see Emory Simmons making that play against Notre Dame, that catch in the end zone. And then wasn't it the NC State game that he just sort of abused the NC State defensive pinned backs. it on the guy's back and just you know he kind of toyed with them so we'll see how he comes along I agree with you guys that Antoine Green and we talked about this on Inside Carolina Live which we were doing at the same time y'all were sitting in Keenan Stadium last Saturday watching practice so I was only slightly jealous there uh Antoine Green's a guy this spring that's got to that's got to make his mark um if he's ever going to do it at Carolina so um, certainly don't want to see guys getting injured, but with Brown out, then you've got a guy like Green that can take advantage of those extra reps. Let's look at the other position on the offense maybe that a lot of people are not necessarily concerned about, and that's running back, clearly. Um, if Pro Day was anything to show and folks didn't already know, Carolina lost two of the best ever at the position. So, Greg, I'll start with you again, and then we can sort of flow through it. I mean, is Ty Chandler going to be the guy or is uh, Caleb Hood doing these things in practice that show up on Instagram um, going to get people um, sort of drooling for him to get a lot of reps out there? Yeah, yeah. I thought DJ Jones looked really good. I mean, he's quick. He's got a good burst. Um, and Josh Henderson looked pretty good. So I think the takeaway for me from watching practice on Saturday is that they really are rotating a lot of guys in trying to figure out, you know, who can do what. Now, certainly it was Jones and Chandler by my count who, who did most of the work with the ones. Um, Chandler's got a little bit different build. He's, he's not as thick as some of the other guys. Uh, he's kind of a, a taller, leaner, uh, but he's got good speed and he's got good hands out of the backfield. And in Longo's system, uh, you've got to be able to do that. And so I think that's beneficial. The fact, as Max said today, that he's he's played in games against Florida and, and Alabama, and um, you know, no stage is going to be too big for him, and that's key. You know that that kind of gives him a leg up because even though he's new to the system, they know how he performs on on game day, and you know that's that's one thing Larry Fedora always said: like these freshmen look good, but you just never know how they're going to respond when the lights come on. Um, but you know what's going to happen with Chandler. So I think the coaching staff is comfortable with him, and he's kind of checked some of those boxes. Uh, but I think they've got a lot of options. Um, yeah, Like I said, Jones uh, is, is unique. He's got good speed. But to your point, Tommy, Hood is not like the others, um, and he's really kind of a bowling ball and can lay some hits. And he had a couple hits where – I'll give you an example. I was, I was jotting down notes, and I heard a pop. And, you know, it's kind of the pop that you'd hear with Javante, and you look up, and it's Caleb Hood knocking a defensive back backward. Um, a lot of the other guys don't do that. So there's value in that for sure, 
uh, we'll just have to see, you know, how, how quickly he comes along and if he can be a, a key, key part for this team uh, this fall. It's, uh, it's going to be fun to watch that position group because, I mean, the offensive line is going to be great. Sam Howe is going to be great. Um, you know, if they can get running back production and guys on the outside, um, then Carolina could have a special offense again. Um, this is a live show, so when things are live, uh, things happen. And I mentioned a special guest, and Greg and Luke and uh, Gregory are always fun, but I got one coming here. Let's see who's going to pop up on the Zoom call. Here we go. Hey! Mr. Sherelle McMillan. Right in with the Jordan brand. Right on cue. Of course. Uh, Sherelle, did you see Luke drag, get Mac to take his shoes off? And show his shoes to the camera today to I, brag about his swag. I did, I did. Uh, and th- those are among the best run- <clears throat> among the best runs ever. So, uh, was are you an eleven guy? I'm an eleven guy. Yeah, I am. Yeah. Every, every I'll put those by the ones. It can't be the ones, but eleven's next. Elevens and threes for me. I hear you though. There. Man, these young guys. I tell you <laughs> what, I uh, I had ones, twos fours maybe the black ones with the silver on the side the mesh mm-hmm. and then i had some other and my mom threw them all away after they were old because they stunk like really really bad well take care of your shoes tommy what do why you, we, why tommy are you doing anything in them anyway they're jordans like that was back then that was back in the day you're not supposed to wear them you just buy them to like put them in the room when they came <laughs> out you wore them if anybody's <laughs> listening to this that was that i mean i had the ones the black, white, and red ones, and then the black and red ones, when they came out initially, and I could have sold them to somebody in Asia for three grand <laughs> if my mom hadn't thrown them away. I'm waiting on Greg to come in inside the New Balance 990s, 992s, <laughs> 997s. Yeah, I got some Asics too that are sweet. Oh, there you go. <laughs> I had some Brooks. Look, somebody was talking about, and this is a funny story. Uh, and again, this is Inside Carolina Podcast Live, but. We had a store back in uh, my hometown named Woodalls. It was a clothing store. And uh, Pumas were really popular back in the day. And Spud Webb and another guy, I can't remember who it is. I had to find the poster. Were the, you know, they were the Puma people. And they came to um, Woodalls in central Johnston County and signed autographs, signed posters for anybody that bought a pair of their shoes. So I had Spud Webb's Pumas back in 1987. Beat that. How old were you, Gregory, in 87? In 1987? Negative 11. Unbelievable. The the last time that I I saved up, I remember about 100 bucks for some of the first sets of Jordans back then. The last expensive pair of shoes that I bought for uh, basketball was the uh, Reebok pumps where they mm. had the you know, little basketball on the tongue. <clears throat> yeah. See, but old school was on the little basketball on the, on the tongue of the shoe. It wasn't the pump that actually came out later. You could, you could pump that joker <laughs> up. I don't know why yeah. that was relevant, but it was like a little basketball. It was right. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Is yeah. that Who? the song pumped up kicks is about? They're about those shoes, right? Oh, my sure. God. Look at those blank faces. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's what I was expecting. My dad was a freshman in college, by the way, Tommy, in 1987. 
So your dad's not much older than me. I appreciate the uh, the uh, <laughs> the good hands. Yeah, uh, the reason that story came to mind is because Marty and McGee were talking about cougars, and cougars were to knock off pumas back in the day. That's right. And uh, man, listening to those two dudes talk about cougars, it was hilarious because they were absolutely right. <laughs> anyway, Sherelle, uh, you joined the show, uh, the On the Beat podcast, for your basketball expertise. Let me ask you just a general overview question. How crazy or how much more crazy is this transfer portal going to get? I mean, it is ridiculous. I think one of the best tweets I saw about it, and they said that the transfer portal was going to be preseason top five. I mean, it's ridiculous the number <laughs> of teams going in there. Yeah, I mean, I think it's still unclear because we don't know when they're going to cut it off. So right now, everyone's kind of in this permanent kind of purgatory with their rosters because um, I think with the one-time transfer exemption and with the portal, there's an idea that, okay, on a certain date, you can't put your name into the portal transfer and be eligible in the fall. But there's been no guidance for that because they haven't voted on the one-time transfer yet, um, which isn't supposed to happen for another couple of weeks from what we're hearing. Um, so, I mean, it could go on into June. You just saw the NBA draft um, stuff come out. So I think guys have until – uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I, I want to say like June 15th to put their name in, to declare for the draft. And then they have until July 15th to pull out. So there are some teams who won't even know what their roster looks like on Independence Day. And that's just really different um, from what has been really forever in college basketball. So to answer your question, I think it can get crazier because it, it almost feels like one of those things like a like a snowball going downhill. Everybody's like, well, oh, so-and-so's in the portal. I thought he was happy where he was. Maybe I should get in the portal because maybe I can team up with him at Insert School X. And, you know, maybe we can grab this other guy from Insert School Y and go to, you know, School Z and we can team up and for one year have this, you know, recreate our AAU team. I'm not saying that's going to happen, but guys are having those kind of conversations behind the scenes. It, it is mind-blowing. I mean – and I didn't realize that most of them were seniors, but NC Central's got nine guys in the portal. Why not? I mean, <laughs> I mean, it's like nine of the 14 on the roster, Lavelle Moten's got in the portal. And of course, he, he shops in the portal quite often anyway, but it's just bizarre. Greg, um, covering this stuff, and I know Sherelle does the recruiting stuff, but how does how does one manage a team without any guidance from the NCAA? Difficult. Uh, I mean, like, if there's no – first of all, this rule is not a thing yet. They haven't set the deadline. I mean, is the NCAA serious? I mean, really? How? I mean, this is a clown show, isn't it? That's the NCAA for you. I mean, <laughs> I mean, it was, seriously, it's uh, – we had this conversation while we were waiting on, on Mac Brown today on uh, our Zoom call. But the NCAA – historically has been reactive with everything they've never been proactive and so what that means is instead of saying you know we're, we think we should take this step and so we're going to study everything we're going to make sure we have all you know, everything dotted and crossed so that when we release this it makes sense and people know what to do but instead they, they get so much pressure from the outside with regard to name, image, and likeness, with regard to the, the transfers and the rights of student-athletes, that instead of 
instead of just saying, you know what, we're, we're going to take this strong approach. They're saying, all right, fine, fine. If you want to be able to transfer, transfer. And okay, great. What, what are the guidelines? Hell if I know, right? That's, that's how the NCAA has always been. Uh, and it's, it's a problem. And so when you have somebody like Roy Williams, who's never been one uh, to dally with transfers and, and those kind of things, I mean, he's had, what, four grad transfers in his entire time at UNC and no regular transfers. This is not something he's familiar with. And so now he's having to become familiar with something that doesn't even have guidelines. Uh, and so I think North Carolina is at a uh, disadvantage for sure in this situation. Uh, but everybody kind of is because, as Sherelle said, this is not going to be voted on until after the Final Four uh, at, the, at the April meeting. And then at that point in time, I mean, you're already – you've got, what, two months maybe before a lot of these decisions have to be made? Uh, good luck. And so it really is is kind of navigating and, and hoping you pull the right uh, – the right – what's the word? Push Lever. the right buttons, I guess. Lever. Yeah, leave a lever. There you go. That's what I was looking for, lever. Um, yeah, it's going to be a mess. And I think it has been official a little bit for North Carolina that they're not going to be looking for like five guys. And so you can be a little bit more cautious, but some of these teams that need two, three, four guys, uh, it's going to be, it's going to be rough. And Tommy, and I think the other thing that's tough for coaches is say you think your roster is set, right? You're, you, you think you have, let's just say you think you have 10 guys who you're hundred percent know they're coming back. Well, if you dip into the portal and say, Ooh, I'm, I'm looking at this kid over here. Well, there's nothing to stop your player from saying, Oh, you're looking at this guy. Well, maybe I should start exploring my options and using my leverage and using the power that I have as a player who doesn't have to sit out a year to figure out what's best for me and my family. So <clears throat> it is a balancing act for coaches. You want to improve your roster always. Um, you know, all the football coaches always talk about how roster management is a 365, 24 hours a day, seven days a week type deal. Um, but at the same time, you have to kind of be mindful of the feelings of the players on your team because <clears throat> when inside Carolina or whoever reports that North Carolina is interested in so-and-so, if so-and-so plays the same position as someone who you think is solid, then, you know, that could impact them. So it, it is, it is a, a really uh, enormous uh, balancing act and juggling act that they're having to do right now. And they're trying to walk on eggshells, but also get their team better. And it's just, it's a lot uh, to deal with, frankly, for the coaches. Gregory, any questions off the live chat for our limited time, Sherelle McMillan? Um, the, there's a one comment that's saying that UNC has four open basketball scholarships so far. I haven't really been tracking amount of scholarships. Sherelle, is that correct? Four open? If you make a couple of assumptions, yeah, that's I, I, four is a good number to assume. Yes. If that's the number they have, does that do you think UNC fills all four? So two coming two with the incoming freshmen fills two of those spots, correct? No, no, that's nine, including the two incoming freshmen. So how many of those four get filled? Uh, my guess would be two to three. Um, they usually like to leave one left over for uh, the walk-on group, and that scholarship kind of rotates each year between the different walk-ons on the team. And then you know you just I, I think Roe Williams isn't the type who wants to bring in three transfers in one season. Now if he could do you know, one high school player or, or something like that. And then another uh, transfer who maybe has a couple years left and then maybe a transfer like a super senior. I could see something like that, but uh, I, I'd be very surprised if they brought in just three 
um, just three straight transfers. So I would say I would expect North Carolina to use probably 12. Um, you know, maybe be surprised if they use uh, all 13, so four more. But I would say I'd be surprised if they use more than uh, – side more than three more guys to this class. And then another question is, do you expect uh, I do or McCoy to get offers this week? <clears throat> um, you never know because Roy Williams is the one who controls offers. And uh, unless you're in his mind, you can't – you know, you can look at clues and say this makes a lot of sense, but you just would never know. Um, McCoy, I'm not sure. We reached out to him um, right after he kind of said – you know, announced that he was entering the portal. And uh, he just was like, I'm open to everybody. So we'll see. Um, you know, it was a little surprising because I think he was in line to get a, a good amount of minutes at, at Virginia um, next season. You could kind of see him uh, ramp up a little bit, play better. Uh, Sean Moran put something on the premium board uh, just about how some of these guys have played recently. So that was surprising. Um, with, with Jonas, I, I think um, I, I think he is a prime candidate for what UNC is looking for. Um, and it's just a matter of Roy Williams talking to him a couple more times and getting comfortable. So I do think he will eventually get an offer as far as timing. I, I just couldn't tell you because that's only one person can tell you the timing on Carolina offers. Sherelle, to that in, in that regard, uh, as far as timing, I mean, Bobby Pettiford obviously was not going to get a Carolina offer, um, and he committed to Kansas. What kind of time crunch is this? Because that's the one thing on the message boards people were fretting about is, um, oh, Roy Williams is going to wait, you know, and, and end up with nothing or very little. I mean, is is there a reason to fret at all on this timing with, what, a thousand players in the portal at this point? One thing I always say is that the urgency within the Smith Center is not nearly as much as the urgency outside of the Smith Center. Um, and that has been true for many, many years. I mean, me and Ben will kind of be like talking and, and looking over things so like, well, what are they doing? Why are they not doing this? And then we'll talk to sources and they'll be like, oh, well, you know, they're they're fine. They're good. They're not worried about it. They've got X and X, Y, Z contingency plan. Um, so I think that's usually the case. And in, in regard to the transfer portal and stuff, you know, over a thousand names and they're now officially. So we're looking at 30% right now, pretty much of all college basketball players are in the portal and we'll be at 33% probably in the next couple of days, um, which is just staggering to really think about, you know, every team basically has three guys in the portal essentially. Um, so there's that. And then, you know, if guys start filling up, you know, start committing to places, you know, there's going to be a situation where, um, having scholarships open and not having filled up is going to be very valuable. So we talked about how, um, you know, there's no guidelines for this, right? No, right now, there's no deadline for anyone to put their name into the portal. So who's to say that the player of the year from a major conference, you know, in May is like, you know what, I'm not feeling my situation, don't like it. And say he's like a position that Carolina's looking for. Say he's a, a tall shooter or a hybrid forward or a center or whatever. If you fill up now with some of the people who are in there, then you lose that chance at that person. So I think that's why you'll see North Carolina be aggressive, but also prudent when it comes to who they offer and who they're looking at. Because, I mean, there's no reason that, you know, someone who's an All-American or returning All-American or something, they could they could become available. That's the thing. You know, you don't you just don't know. So I think you have to plan just in case and, and have contingency. So that's why I would say. 
um, urgency to some degree right now. You know, they're talking to people, they're calling people, but also be open because you don't know what's going to be available down the road. A couple of years ago, nobody expected John Baylon to leave Michigan, you know, in I think it was May when he left and Jalen Wilson uh, decommitted and eventually took an official visit to Carolina in June. If they had filled up on scholarships, you know, um, in April, they wouldn't have had that opportunity. So I think there is um, some some intelligence behind at least having a scholarship or two saved uh, for that reason. Mm. It is a uh, musical chairs. And then you don't want to be the one left without one, but Sherelle, you always bring the, the normalcy, I guess, to it. When, when you think about it. Uh, one final thing uh, before we let you go. And I know that you joined us with uh, in, in the child rearing years, uh, <laughs> to put it lightly. Um, I mean, I've got the monitor right here and I see one kind of moving. I'm like, Oh no, please just go to sleep, man. Just sleep. I don't know why it's so hard to sleep. Like, we, get, we get to our age and we're like, Oh, what I could do to just sleep in their age. You're like, no, I don't want to sleep. And just, it just, it's so painful. They don't yeah. want to miss anything, but you know, I, I think after, by the time our second one came around, we threw that monitor off that screen. Pool. <laughs> uh, so needs, uh, are we hundred percent sure that Carolina's needs are a hybrid forward and a backup five and then maybe a shooter, a, a guard shooter, or, or I mean, where are they in that regard? If they got four left, they'll definitely lose, use two, maybe definitely, maybe probably. So what are are the exact needs for this team? Back up five to Walker Miller. I'm Walker. I go to UNCG, but that's another story. (laughs) Go ahead, Rev. Um, Yeah, I'm not 100% certain on anything right now, so I I wouldn't tell you as such. Uh, The best information we have and um, add to kind of the context clues of how they usually do things and all that stuff, it seems um, that they do want a a hybrid forward. So that is – uh, just think about Luke May was probably the last one. And I know that is a controversial statement here over the last couple of weeks. Uh, but show, think of, Don't show Luke May tight. <laughs> think about Luke May. <laughs> think about Jawad Williams. Uh, think about Marvin Williams to some degree. Those are kind of the, I guess, the prominent, uh, what we would call hybrid forward or stretch fours that have been at Carolina under Roy Williams. Um, so someone who in a pinch could probably play some center. Uh, but someone also who, you know, plays the four, but can also play on the block, but can also kind of go out to the three-point line. So I think that is a need because there were conversations about spacing and um, I don't want to call it modernizing, but just tweaking things uh, in their end of your meetings. So I think that's something that came out of it. They really want a hybrid forward. And now I would say too, it's not like they haven't tried with hybrid forwards. If I really wanted to like we could name about 40 since about 2015 <laughs> or I'm dead serious since about 2014 or 15 that they've offered they just haven't gotten them you know Luke May is kind of really the one that they were able to get I think Nasir uh, Little was kind of in that mold but not exactly um, so they want that and then they're going to have to have a backup big because Sterling Manley Walker Kessler Dayron Sharp are all gone um, the expectation is that uh, Garrison Brooks moves on which is what we've shared with you know some of our premium subscribers, and then Armando Baycott has a decision to make. So regardless of what Baycott's decision is, whether it's stay or go, they're still going to need more bodies. He can't play, you know, by himself down there. So they need that. And then I think, um, you know, until somebody else on the roster proves that um, they can shoot, you know, you got to keep bringing people in and just making sure that, uh, you know, if you have 
nine guys <laughs> at the one through three, maybe you can get three of them to shoot well. Or if you have 10 guys at the one through three, maybe you can get four of them to shoot well, something like that. So I think they'll, you know, address that. But I think that will be more um, case by case. It would have to be a special player um, in order for them to really look at that. So I think that's where they are right now. Um, but again, that, that stuff, you know, it's, it's changing. It could change by the time this is published and posted tomorrow. All right. Greg Barnes chimed in on the Slack with a question I was going to, I was thinking about, but Sherelle, we're going to debate this before our break. And then uh, before we let you go, 09 Carolina or 2021 <laughs> Gonzaga. I think they're pretty similar to be honest. What, what sayeth you? I, I'm getting trouble. Um, you know, the 09 Carolina team got bored. And I think it showed a couple of times during that season. Um, so I, I would I would take away points for them for that reason. I don't think you've seen Gonzaga, you know, maybe once. I think it was like uh, Santa Clara or somebody they struggled with a little bit in that first half. BYU, they were down by 12, I think, at halftime. Ended up winning by 15. Um, but, you know, Carolina, I think they lost uh, uh, their first two ACC games. Is that correct, Greg? To yeah, or two of their Boston first College and and – you know, some teams Wake that Forest. Great. Yeah, yes. two teams that weren't great. They were zero and two. Um, yeah, it was zero and two. Yeah, yeah. Austin yeah. College was in between. Yeah, so, was in between. So at at their peak, I would take North Carolina. I think, but consistency wise, I think Gonzaga has been a more consistent team across the season than North Carolina, because you know they had just come. Carolina had just come back from a Final Four, where they were embarrassed, and nothing they were going to do during the regular season, honestly, really mattered. It was just about getting to the tournament and then turning it on when they got to the tournament. And you saw what they did over that six-game run. Um, so to answer your question, uh, I, you know, this is Carolina. It's inside Carolina, so obviously I'm going to say Carolina. Um, but I think Gonzaga was probably the more consistent team because they didn't have some of the lulls that, that a UNC team did. Do you think playing in the Mountain West changes that? Oh, I mean, yeah, to a degree, certainly. I, I, you know, I mean – it's an easier conference. Let's not be wrong. But at the same time, they've played everyone. I feel like they played a really good non-conference schedule. Um, teams that we thought were good and it just blew them out of the water. It wasn't even close. You know, you talk about um, Iowa and then you talk about Virginia and a couple of others. So West Virginia, Auburn, West, Kansas. Right. I mean, they, they played high-level competition outside of their conference. Um, but, you know, I, I just think, you know, North Carolina's best is better than this Gonzaga's team's best but i do think gonzaga you know will go down as is one of the better teams if they're able to win two more games and, and win a title i'm looking at ken palm here comparing both teams it's kind of fun as far as looking at efficiency standpoints things like that both were the number one offense from an efficiency standpoint gonzaga a little bit on the defensive end but that might be more that could be kind of tailored towards competition about how much teams can score against them and just score in general they were both number six in tempo. Um, and then they were both pretty high in non-steal turnover percentage. They were making a lot of mistakes. They were both top 10. The only really glaring difference is just how efficient Gonzaga is from two-point range. I mean, they today was their 54th straight game shooting above 50% from two-point percentage, which is pretty remarkable. Well, and what's remarkable about that is who – Coming into the lead eight, who led the nation in two point field goal percentage defense? Southern USC. California. Yeah, 41.5. Gonzaga <laughs> shot 57% from two. 
they were showing uh, like a comparison of what USC's defense has done to teams they face in the tournament. And leading up to today's game, every team that they faced was at least 10 points below their season average. And Gonzaga was above their season average today. Yeah. I mean, I just don't know. Uh, obviously, Ty Lawson and Tyler Hansbrough are difference makers for that 09 team against this Gonzaga team. But the, um, the last time, not to, again, <laughs> as Sherelle said, I don't want to get in trouble. Uh, the last time a team made it this far in the NCAA tournament undefeated was mm. Kentucky. Kentucky, 2015. Uh, that was, was a yeah. loaded Duke. team. And yeah. uh, Wisconsin also Wisconsin. had a very good team that year. Yeah. It's crazy the they didn't get to the championship. But no, I mean, <laughs> Sam Decker had like the game of his life. And then against Duke, he couldn't. He yep. do anything. He just lost his mind. It was like the Monstars got him or something. Sounded like a little like Brad <laughs> Davidson and then against Baylor. Well, yeah, interesting. Yeah. Sherelle, Sp- speaking of Baylor, on? go ahead, Luke. I was going to say, is my sh- screen sharing on? I got a little – because I've been so wrong on so many takes I've had. Oh, my God. Are you going to show your bracket? <laughs> I want to show my bracket. For the I, don't know how to, I don't know how to yeah, make it so you can share. I will say it wasn't my first bracket, but in my second bracket – I predicted the entire West region correctly. Nice. So after you, getting Georgia Tech to the Sweet 16. The, the team of State dogs, a bunch of dudes. Is that what you said about UNC Georgia Tech? And getting all those wrong. You had Michigan State in the Elite Eight. Michigan State in the Elite Eight. I'm not going to lie. I had the 11th seed in the Elite Eight. I didn't oh, know. you it had Michigan State. State. It was you had Michigan the wrong State, one. But I clicked Michigan State or UCLA, <laughs> and ESPN auto-filled it out. So. I got one of them. Oh. During that Georgia Tech game, I was like, "Poor Luke," because like they would, they were hanging in there. You know, they didn't have right, and I, I just yeah. felt bad for you. I was like, "You, honestly, <laughs> you're the only person on my mind watching that Georgia Tech Lola game." Hey, it's, I was watching Skip Bayless and Stephen A. I, I learned the base. <laughs> you got to throw out a take and then ride with it. It's, <laughs> it's, it's the new, it's a new sports media era we're living in. I just read the consequences. I can't hey. figure out how to let you show your bracket, it's all good. but it's probably you just good. I mean, it's me. just the West it's is perfect. It's it just... was bad, consistently bad. So, Tommy, before we, we depart off of Gonzaga, I will encourage anybody listening to us or watching us, if you haven't watched a Gonzaga game, you're doing yourself a disservice. Make a point to watch the, the Final Four because as much as we've talked about what the issues were with North Carolina this year, I don't know how many times I heard Roy Williams scream, move this season. Gonzaga moves all the time, and they don't take bad shots. Uh, Jalen Suggs is a freshman, and I watched him against USC tonight in the first half three times dribble into the paint, realize that Evan Mobley is one of the best defensive players in the country is there, He doesn't panic. He doesn't throw up some crazy shot. He either makes a pass or he just dribbles out and they start the set again. And it was textbook. I mean, every possession was clean. They got good looks pretty much every single time. You compare that to what we saw with Carolina this year. And you can see why there's a lot of issues. Um, And I I think it's, it's very clean, very fun to watch. Uh, I mean, as I said, USC had the best two-point field goal percentage defense of anybody in the country. And Gonzaga wasn't even shooting threes good and were able to build a 20. They USC had their biggest deficit of the year with six minutes to play in the first half. 
<laughs> That's how good this team is. It is, uh, it is not fair. And we're about to have another special guest, I think, uh, join us here in a second. But Sherelle, talking about Baylor, I mean, I love Mitchell for Baylor. Can Baylor hold up against Gonzaga? I just, I don't know. I just, I haven't ever been able to buy Baylor. I, I know they're like the second best team in the country. It's just, it's some kind of, it's a, it's a me problem. It's some kind of programming issue that I just can't buy Drew's teams for whatever reason. Uh, but yeah, I mean, if there's a team who can do it, uh, it's Baylor just because, you know, pencil them in for 12 threes a game. And then if they really, you know, start getting hot, you know, they can make 20 threes in the game very easily. And if they're hot, it's going to be hard for any team, Gonzaga included, to stay with that if they get really, really hot from three. So I think that's part of it. Um, you know, they like to play some, I don't want to call them junk defenses, junk defenses, but, you know, they play very different styles of, of defense and they switch a lot. Um, so I think that could give them some trouble. Uh, and then, you know, like you said, the guards and the athleticism. Um, that Baylor has kind of on the wing and really I, I, honestly I guess the one through five the athleticism they have um, could give Gonzaga some trouble too so I, I think that would be a great game it would be one of those um, you know Carolina Illinois type games where you have pretty much the two best teams and everybody knew it the entire season that doesn't happen often where you get the two best teams in college basketball so that's what I'm rooting for um, I'm tired of the shenanigans with you know these small schools and you know, 11 seeds. Like I want the big boys. I want the Titans. I want them going against each other so I can see some really good basketball. Does so I'm Houston hopeful count that, as a Titan? No, team? the Houston does not count as a Titan. That was <laughs> I, my eyeballs were just glazed over watching that game. I do not all due respect to Kelvin Sampson and, and his style has worked in different places. It's just not a style of basketball that I care to watch. Like it just it is it is mind it is numbing. I just you know it just yeah. Anyway, as someone who was raised on, on, on ACC basketball and, you know, Dean Smith and, and Gary Williams and Coach K and that style, I just I can't stand to watch the way Houston plays. It's it's almost repulsive to me, to be honest. <laughs> well, it, it, you know, it's funny to me, all these 11 seeds and 12 seeds and 15 seeds. If Michigan handles business tonight, it'll be uh, three ones and a two mm -hmm. after it's all said and done. Luke Buxton. uh we had a special guest bounce in. He bounced out some technical difficulties. But, Luke, I think you're going to have to leave us, man. What Have you not done your homework? <laughs> done the homework for the podcast, but unfortunately I didn't do the homework due at midnight. So may have to bounce out soon. Priorities, my man. It's not, Look, even, it's not even 10 p.m. You got like another hour before you have to start. I got, right? I got four pages to write. <laughs> and they ain't gonna write themselves <laughs> yeah, you can't you can't narrow the margins and like have your pages like this uh, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna do instead of double space i'm gonna do 2.2 so maybe i'll help a little right get, get greg to send you his venmo and just have have uh the master write four pages for you he'll be done in <laughs> half an hour there you go. Hopefully my teacher's not an IC subscriber. That would be, that'd be. <laughs> and, uh, and I hope my child is not watching this because he's going to Carolina next year. And he'll be like, well, Luke Buxton waited to the last minute. <laughs> All right, dude, be good. He also stole road signs, but. Oh, geez. Okay. <laughs> it's, it's my time to bounce. Later, <laughs> man. Bye, Luke. All right. Peace see you out. Luke is gone. I'm going to take a short second uh, while I bring in our other guests to talk about Johnny T-Shirt, johnnytshirt.com. Sherelle loves some Johnny T-Shirt. Uh, Sherelle is probably the biggest purchaser of Johnny T-Shirt 
on this podcast for sure. And uh, he can attest. It's the way to go. It's the way to be. If you're going to support IC and UNC and local businesses, Johnny T-shirt, johnnytshirt.com. And you get 10% off your everyday order. I'm going to take a second to pay the national bills. We'll be right back with Inside Carolina on the Beat Podcast. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. And we're back on the Beat Podcast, Inside Carolina on the Beat Podcast. Uh, i say it three or four times because I'm trying to click the admit button for our next special guest. Here he comes. Of course, I've got Gregory Hall, Greg Barnes, Sherelle McMillan now, and there the man is. Mr. Dewey Burke has joined the show. Dewey, what's happening, my man? What's up, team? How's everybody doing? Good to see we- you, Dewey. Good, good. We are. Dewey, on- I don't know if we've ever met, by the way. So, hello. <laughs> hello. This is this is Greg's son, Gregory. He is uh, a <laughs> one of our inside Carolina famed interns. Dewey, we're just sitting here talking about um, everything Carolina related, but something. I, one reason I wanted you to come on is because I wanted you to talk about uh, sort of the exit interview process with Roy Williams uh, that you experienced back when you were at Carolina and how it went um, just to sort of give some color to these last couple of weeks for uh, Carolina fans that have watched all this you know, ups and downs and, and disgruntledness turn into not so much and all just share your thoughts on what the last two weeks have have been like and what they were like back when you were there. Sure. Yeah. I mean, obviously it depended on who you were and what, what year you were in and what you were getting ready to go do, you know, for me, uh, not that anybody particularly cares about what my meetings were like, but you know, before, anytime before my senior year it was how can you help our team better and uh, he goes to the staff and gets recommendations from each coach on what they think you need to work on and how you can get better and and for me that obviously meant how can I help prepare the guys that played major minutes better how can I prepare them better for games and that's what our conversation was about and and um, just doing everything I could off the court academically. Uh, he expected me to continue to do that and, and those kind of things. So that's what my meetings were like. For the guys that were, you know, maybe considering turning pro or wanted to have a conversation about that, obviously it was quite different. You know, we're fortunate to have a lot of Carolina guys in and around the NBA that coach can go to, not to mention just his friends and connections, but even just Carolina guys he could go to 
to get an honest assessment. I mean, back when I was playing Mitch Kupchak, right? He was the GM of the Lakers. George Carl was still coaching. Um, Dave Hanners was still in the NBA. There were a ton of guys that coach could go to uh, to get honest feedback about whomever uh, the, the player in question. And, you know, I don't know how much it's changed since then. Probably not a ton, except for maybe who he talks to, to get those assessments. And then, you know, he sits down and gives consideration to what your family situation is uh, financially, what you, you know, where your family may or may not have needs, uh, what he heard. Are you a first round guarantee? Are you a lottery guarantee? What is his opinion on what you should do? Uh, some guys listen, some guys don't. Um, and then you kind of go from there and, and, I would assume a lot of these conversations the past couple of weeks have been over over Zoom as it relates to the parents participating. Shirelle, you can probably speak to that better. Uh, but that's weird because for guys that were thinking about the NBA, those were always in person. Everybody was in coach's office together. Um, and he, I even remember some guys, AU coaches or high school coaches coming in for those meetings with the parents or with the grandparents or whoever, whoever the close advisors were. Um, and, you know, coach was always great about it being about the player first and what was best for them first. Uh, there's this conception out there that uh, Coach Williams finds ways to keep five stars in school longer than they maybe thought they would, uh, which is preposterous, obviously. Um, he's got the ability to get honest feedback from important people in the NBA and tell you what he hears. And uh, the nice thing about that is it's not from agents or runners or people in and around professional basketball that have skin in the game. He gets an honest assessment from um, executives and or coaches that probably have a Carolina tie. So it's going to be it's going to be honest. So kind of rambled on there, but I would imagine it's still pretty similar. Dewey, let me ask you this. How sacred are those meetings amongst players? Is there a lot of talk like you get out of your meeting and you go talk to maybe your closest friend and kind of share what the different perspectives were? Or is it kind of I had my meeting with coach and that's kind of between me and my business? Or is it kind of like a depends on the type of person? Yeah, probably more just personal and, and, and for you to kind of store away. Um, like I still have the sheet of paper that coach Williams gave me after each one of my meetings, cause it was on, you know, letterhead and was written out what he wanted me to work on. Like that's a pretty cool memento to have. Right. I doubt a lot of guys kept those, but I did. Um, so yeah, they're, they're really more or less for you. I will tell you that, um, my exit meeting after I finished playing my senior year, I overslept and missed it. Um, great move as a walk-on, but coach and I joked about it that what was he going to do? He couldn't make me run, you know? So, um, but yeah, that was not a, that was not a good move on my part, but whoops. Um, but anyway, so no, I don't remember talking about each other's meetings with my teammates. I think it's just, uh, that's a pretty personal private thing, I would say. Dewey, I'm going to shift the conversation a little bit. Uh, we know that Roy is stubborn, but we also know that he's shown an ability and a willingness to adjust as necessary in recent years. Uh, one of the, the strong narratives 
own the IC message boards is, is one that I don't agree with, but I want your opinion on it. It's that the game has changed, which I think we can all agree on that, but that because it has changed, Roy needs to change with it. And Roy needs to be willing to part ways with the concept of his traditional two bigs uh, and, and go more towards a three-point shot heavy offense with better spacing for better use of the pick and roll, uh, those types of things. And that is because of those changes and his unwillingness to make those adjustments the past two years that UNC is kind of where it's at. Uh, I think there's a lot of holes in that argument, but just in, in terms of the general concept there, just wanted to get your thoughts. So let me ask you a question. Why did Walker Kessler leave? What do we think? Just simple playing time, right? Probably above everything else. So we should have played less bigs this year. We should have, we, I'm not saying you're the one who's posing this to me. I just don't right. We had four bigs this year that were all skilled and, and capable and deserving of minutes. And yet the cry is that we play less bigs. We play one big and four perimeter players. When we had four guys, they were very capable. Our senior big was probably our, our worst big in terms of upside and ability yet he was the ACC preseason player of the year. And so the argument is we should be playing four out, one in, or five out, and playing no bigs when we had four bigs that all deserve minutes and everybody's upset that we're losing Walker. So I, you can't have both, right? You can't have said Walker should have played more. Mondo had a great year. Dayron should have played more, but then said we also shouldn't play too big. So I don't understand. There's a lot of holes in the argument, as you say. With this, this year's team, we were built to play three out, two in, based on the makeup of our roster. And if anything, we all kind of hope now that Walker played more, right? So I don't, know how saying, I don't understand how you make that argument with this year's team. Now, maybe other seasons when we didn't have that amount of talent in the post – I could understand it. And he's done it. We all remember years back when he played PJ Hairston at the four for the last 10 games of a season, because the roster makeup dictated that this year's team did not dictate that next year's team might. I mean, we'll see right now we have hopefully Armando coming back and then it's unclear. So maybe we'll pay a lot of four out one in and play more of a freelance, less secondary and allow more room for penetration for guys like Caleb to get to the rim. The other argument that we don't run off pick and roll, still still can't see that one. Every late shot clock play, we run fist. That's a high pick and roll. Caleb had license to call horns whenever he wanted. That's a double pick and roll. We have three different secondary sets that the initiation by the point guard is a pick and roll. So that, to me, doesn't hold water either. Um, I understand the frustration that we don't shoot and make as many threes as a lot of teams, but I also just watched Gonzaga the first half of that game, I'm behind on DVR because I put my kids to bed. I just watched the first half where I hopped on, and I watched someone dominate in the post by throwing the ball in there again and again and again and again, and their entire offense was run through throwing the ball into the post, which is what we try to do. So there are a lot of holes in that argument, Craig. I understand the perception that we play an old style what were we supposed to do this year with this team, with those four guys? I don't understand. I'm not, it's a rhetorical question. What were we supposed to do? 
Right. And, and I would I would make the argument, too, as much as people want to harp on the, the traditional two bigs thing, that w- by far was not the big issue this year. The issue was, I mean, if you can't want to shoot. talk, you can't shoot, right? It was guard play. And you when you have freshmen that you're relying on at guard and they're having issues shooting besides Kerwin Walton uh, and you got the turnover issues. How well did our bigs play when we shot the ball well? Yeah, absolutely. They played great. They played great. So because the spacing all of a sudden improved. You don't have Caleb Love trying to drive into a five guys on both teams in the post. Like, yeah, it's one hundred percent. It provides spacing, and even when they're not shooting well, when they're getting good shots, then you can have the attack the offensive boards. And it's just if it's a threat, it allows the bigs to play better. Yes, that's right. I would add too. I don't even know that it's a, a thing about having bigs per se, because I think it's more about rebounding because that is the number one thing that Roy Williams wants to do is, you know, I think we all agree on, he wants to rebound so that he can have more possessions so he can get the other team in foul trouble so he can get to the free throw line. And if you have more possessions, then you're likely to score more points and you're likely to win the game. So it's a very, it's not a complicated philosophy. And mm-hmm. if you look back to 2018, 19, they were still a top five rebounding team in the country because that's what they emphasize in practice is rebounding. So it's not even this, uh, it's not even that they have to have two lumbering seven foot one, 250 pound guys in the post, you know, with their backs to the basket. He just wants to, right. He just wants to make sure that they're rebounding. And, you know, if you told Roe Williams that he would lead the country in rebounding with a six, seven forward, a six, six guard and a six, eight forward, he might, he might, you know, look around for a second and be like, you know what, that's fine. As long as I'm leading the country and rebounding, I'm fine. So I think that's what people have to realize, too, that it's not even necessarily about two, quote unquote, traditional bigs. It's about rebounding. Mm-hmm. Like, that's that's what it's about. Oh, I think that's right. And and again, and Tommy, we've talked about it on, on our podcast. We it was difficult to navigate the 80 available minutes in the post with the four guys that we had. If you look back in history since coach came, we've had extreme success when we had three bigs to rotate. It just worked out minutes wise. 2005, Sean, Jawad, Marvin. 2009, after Zeller gets hurt, Hansbro, Thompson, Davis. And you can keep going, right? We've had several teams where the three big rotation worked out well from a minutes perspective. They had four. And so something we need to be honest about and i think it's been on some of the message boards walker played very poorly in the first four to six weeks of the season he did not play well now he might have been practicing great he might have been beating garrison in practice we we won't know that but he did not play well in fact i remember going back to a text message between myself and some of my teammates when we were watching a game in december and we literally said you can't play walker you can't play him because he was such a liability. Now it's amazing that two months later, he was the guy that did what he did against Florida state and had those breakout games. I get it. The game slowed down for him. He got away from his COVID quarantine stuff. I understand, but the product on the floor did not warrant a lot more minutes. And I get the argument. You got to let him grow. You got, okay, fine. But when there's four of you guys and you're not performing, you're going to have a short leash. I don't care where you are. That would have been the case down the road at Duke. That would have been the case at Kentucky. Nobody has a quicker hook than Calipari, by the way. And he did not play very well in those early games. Go back and watch. And so 
it's a difficult thing that ended up happening because she flashed how good he could be. It's hard to play with four bigs in our system. It's better with three. And Walker didn't earn a lot of minutes early in my estimation. I don't know what you guys think, but I remember a number of times and time when we talked about it, you almost couldn't have him on the floor. He was a liability. Especially in that Greg, was it the, the, Syracuse game that followed the Florida State game. Where Syracuse it was just, game up there, yeah, where he he was he just didn't know what to do against his own. Yeah, I mean, I think as far as Kessler and, and I've caught sort of, I tend to forget one year players pretty quickly. But if he has a, a great year this year, he's gone anyway. Shrell would probably say otherwise, but the way people go, I mean, like Dayron, if. I don't know if he could have played any better for North Carolina. He could have had better numbers and more minutes, but you know, it, it sort of is what it is. For me, it all comes down to shooting the ball, Dewey. And and we can all agree that if if Carolina shoots the ball, if they shoot forty percent from three this year, or thirty five percent as a team from three this year, we're not having these discussions. Period. And it just didn't happen, and that's the bottom line. Dewey, let me ask you, let me back up a little bit um, to these to the exit interview question because I had one and Greg rightfully changed the subject. But how much, uh, you, you know, over the last couple of weeks, and it's not just Carolina, guys enter the portal, they get frustrated, they want to leave, they want to go different places. How much would that have happened had it been that way, uh, a no-sit uh, transfer rule back when you were at Carolina and I'm not I don't want you to name players um, but Carolina had a lot of talent and a lot of times a lot of that talent didn't play maybe as much as they thought they should have as freshmen I mean how would life have been different back in in your time in Chapel Hill and it's you know it's so interesting but it it was a different time guys it, it really was there was no social media there was no social media I remember where I was sitting at Carolina my junior year when I created my Facebook. I remember that, <laughs> okay? And none of it was on our phones. There was no tweeting videos and pictures and Instagram, none of it, right? So there, there just wasn't as much noise, number one. And number two, the result of that is the instant gratification that is expected now of these highly touted players we had McDonald's All-Americans coming off the bench in droves, in droves, right? And this year, if I'm correct, Walker was the only one who came off the bench, well, they were on two in some, in spurts when he started some, and they're both gone. It's just a different time. It sounds weird to say, but that was 16 years ago when I came in around the same time as the, the, the class of 05, all those guys. It's just, it wasn't the same. I, you can't, you almost can't compare them because take Bobby. Bobby starts as a freshman, has an unbelievable year, all ACC freshman team. I remember sitting in the locker room in the summer with Raymond Felton and Sean and some other guys and having a conversation like, Bobby Frazier's a pro. He's as good or better than Kirk Heinrich. This guy's a pro. That's how good he played as a freshman. And then he gets hurt and Ty Lawson comes in and he gets hurt again. And his career is never the same. And he finishes as a coming off the bench defensive specialist playing 15 minutes a game. McDonald's All-American, who we thought was a pro after his freshman year, right? Danny Green, 
could be the most decorated, not Michael Jordan, James Worthy, Carolina NBA player when he's done, didn't start. Didn't start. And and probably shouldn't have, right? He, he, he didn't earn it. He stayed. And so in today, Danny Green, not, not Danny Green that we know, but a person like Danny Green, gone. Bobby Fraser, gone, right? Tyler Zeller and Ed Davis both came in. Five-star McDonald's All-Americans didn't start. They probably leave. Just a different time. I just, I don't even know how to compare it, Tommy. I really don't. I'm not saying it's a, a different character of kid, a better kid, a worse kid. It's just, it's the social media era, and it's just not the same. Sherelle, what do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, 100% accurate. I mean, it's, there have been a lot of Carolina players who are greats, um, who have done a lot of amazing things at Carolina, who wouldn't have done those things had there been no restriction to transfer. I mean, just over the last 10 years, you know, again, not, not to name names, but I can think of five guys um, who played in the NBA or are playing in the NBA who would have left Carolina after a freshman year if they could have, you know, gone somewhere and not set out. Um, Cause then maybe they weren't quite ready for the NBA, um, but they wanted to, you know, get, get a little bit better so they could go the next year. Um, I think someone, you know, we, we don't like to, people don't like to hear his name, but someone like Rashad McCants probably would have left after Roy Williams first year, like a hundred percent, you know, totally that, agree. And, and he is one of the best scores in Carolina history. And one of the reasons whether or not people like it or not, that they won the national championship in 2005, he wouldn't Absolutely. have been there as a junior. Um, you know, honestly, <laughs> a few of those guys on the 2005 team probably would have left after the first year with Coach Williams just because uh, it was such a, a change. And Sean might have left. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't Sean wanna... might have left. Coach Williams, <laughs> Coach Williams was in his ass so bad he might have left, but instead yeah. he stayed. Right. And he worked all summer. He got in shape and look now. And so again, it's not fair to compare Sean to someone else or you know, whatever, but. If they didn't have the opportunity cost of having to sit out, it, it would it's chaos. It's just chaos now. That's what it's just chaos. And it would have been this way for every school. And that, that's the other thing. And, and Sherelle, I think you can comment on this. It's chaos at Duke. It's chaos at Kansas. It's chaos at Kentucky. It's chaos everywhere right now. Nobody knows who's going to be on their roster. You can't prepare for it. You're trying to recruit guys. You're not sure you have a spot. It's ridiculous. Along those lines, go ahead, Greg. I was going to say it's approaching twenty-five percent of all the Division One men's college basketball players are in the portal. Yeah. that's the number we're approaching. Twenty-five percent, like Sherelle said earlier. I think, I think, Rel, you said this earlier. Almost, I said, I said thirty, but yeah, twenty-five, whatever. A yeah, lot. it's well, just three. <laughs> each team is like three guys in the portal. Right. Almost is what we're getting at, which is just, it's crazy. It's so, crazy. Dewey, when you've got this situation with what you're talking about where the freshmen come in with all these expectations and the willingness for a lot of these guys, not all of them, but for a lot of them uh, is not there in terms of wanting to work up the, the food chain in terms of if they got to sit on the bench and learn, then they sit on the bench and learn and they're better for it at the end. You have that side of the thing. And then you also have this transfer portal situation where you know, in a, probably about two weeks now the gates are going to be open and nobody's going to have to sit out a year. What, what do you do as a coach? And I'm not asking you to speculate on, on Roy's behalf, but what do you do as a coach when you're trying to build a roster in this day and time? 
Yeah, I don't know what you do other than just forget about class. Nobody has a nobody has a class. You're not a freshman. You're not a senior. We have a one year team every year, and, and treat it as such. I don't know how else you prepare. Because so let me let me answer it differently. I understand the argument that if coaches are free to switch schools with no issues and somebody pays their buyout for them and how come they can do it and players can't. I get that. I understand the argument. And what they're saying is it should be more of a pro model. Players should be able to freely move. What they ignore with that is that professionals have contracts and they're not one-year contracts, right? They can be sometimes, but they're two, three, four, five, right? And so if we want it to be a more pro model, when you choose a school, should you then sign a contract? You want to be paid for it. Okay, then there should be an agreement. Is it a one-year agreement? Is it a two-year agreement? Is it a three? Is it a four? What's the agreement? Because the free-for-all of I'm here for a year and if I want to leave, I'm just leaving. I don't know how the model doesn't implode, right? So again, I'm all four players getting paid, name, image, and likeness, however we arrive at the solution. But if you want to compare it to the pro model, professionals have contracts. And so are we saying that incoming freshmen are signing contracts? And if they are, for how many years? If it's all one-year contracts for every player every year, okay, then that's the system and every coach can adapt and every program can prepare. And then maybe people will be, maybe it'll be 50% in the portal or do they sign two-year contracts or three-year contracts? I'm fine with wherever we land, but you can't make the argument that it should be more pro-like and ignore the fact that pros have contracts. Fascinating. I mean, and I'm sitting here, and you're listening to the Inside Carolina podcast. Uh, Michigan and UCLA are going to set scoring records, and not in a good way, perhaps. I was just about to bring that up. Like, yeah, got a, a doozy know. over here. Yeah, I think uh, UCLA's got two safeties halfway through the first half. Um, let's let's get down to the brass tacks. We've talked about Carolina and all, and we've got Dewey Burke here and Sherelle McMillan, Greg Barnes, and Gregory Hall. Dewey, uh, Gonzaga 2021 – Versus Carolina 2009. We've been debating this for a while here. Now you're in it. And you cannot be a homer. I understand <laughs> you know these guys, but yeah, you got to yeah. do it objectively. Um, well, um, <laughs> Gonzaga t- 2021 hasn't done anything yet. Um, Valid point. You know, they haven't done anything yet. And don't don't tell me they won their conference. Not impressed. Um, but they have the opportunity, obviously, to, to go undefeated and, and be the first guys to do that since that Indiana team. Um, one of the things you can't do is talk about what the 09 guys ended up doing as pros, right? Because it kind of gives you rose-colored glasses when you think of somebody like Danny and 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 Wayne who's still in the league and Ed who's still in the league and Z who was in the league for a while and Tyler who's in the league and and uh and obviously Ty um so you think about matchups I think Timmy and Hansborough would have been a hell of a battle um you know Timmy seems like he likes to showboat a little bit he's he's pretty impressed with himself I'd like to see 
what one in the chops from Hansborough would have felt like for him. I don't think he'd have been doing all the semantics and just would have been worrying about the win that got knocked out of him a couple of times. So I'd have been interested to see if Timmy could have dealt with the physicality of Tyler and our depth in the post. If you think about it, if we we're playing them in the national championship game, we had Zeller back, right? So we could have thrown Hansborough, Thompson, Davis, and Zeller at him. That would have been a lot for him to handle. Um, now, they have tremendous size on the perimeter. Um, you know, Kispert's big. Suggs is big. Suggs is elite and talented, but he's a freshman. Ty Lawson was a junior. Wayne Ellington – yeah, Wayne Ellington was a junior. Danny was a senior. So we had so much experience on our team. Um, I think our depth is better. I think our four bigs against Timmy and I don't – I can't name you another one of their bigs. That tells you enough. Um, Kispert was really good, but I think he'd had to deal with playing on the other end, guarding Danny, guarding Anton Wayne. Watson's the only other one that plays significant minutes for him. In the yeah, first. and I saw him in the first half. He doesn't move well enough to deal with our bigs. Nah. Um, Kispert would have had to guard on the other end. Um, yeah, I, I, I like our chances in that game. I really do. Um, yeah. To your point our, about, like our depth. Yeah, go ahead. To your point about um, just the depth with the size is, I think on either end, it's kind of how does each defense kind of guard the offense? Because can UNC's bigs? Yes, there's just really Timmy, but we were talking about earlier. Gonzaga moves off the ball exceptionally yeah. well, so maybe not at the beginning as much with fresh legs, and obviously rotating in depth helps. But to a certain point constantly having to move around and follow your guy and guard on the perimeter could mm-hmm. wear down. So I just think both offenses are, would wear down both yeah, defenses. And, and you know, just... one of coaches favorite things to say is, yeah, yeah, it's great. If a team says they want to run with us, you know, but when we were really good and really out in transition, they had to run back. They had to play defense against us. And this is one of those games. It feels like it had been, you know, 98, 93, uh, you know, in that, in that realm, that 9 team was not elite defensively. They were pretty good. They would just outscore you. They just, they just knew they could score 100. They knew they could score 100, and you couldn't, and that was that. And I've yet to see, to this day, Sherelle, correct me if I'm wrong, I've yet to see someone in college basketball that could guard Ty Lawson. Haven't seen him yet. Haven't seen him. So they'd had a problem with him because everybody did. On rail. He put you on uh, the spot. No, I'm, I'm with him. I mean, didn't he, Rail take Ty Lawson first round in our fun little draft? No, he did not. He took Raymond Felton. Oh, I Felton, took Ty Lawson. You, you, you made me go third. You made me go third person too. I never go third person. But yes, <laughs> Rail took Raymond Felton. Do no, we I, still do we still have those rosters? Because we need to give them to Dewey and see who's got the best team. I mean, uh, somewhere they're on nah, the podcast. They're in the cloud. Don't, don't do that to me. <laughs> Yeah, because Greg Barnes had, like, Dewey, no disrespect, but he had you as his starting point guard. No, I'm joking. (laughs) No, it was – we we did a uh, fantasy draft. What was it, last 10 years? No, it was Roy Williams era. Yeah, Yeah, it was just Roy Williams era, and it was, like, all ACC and draft pick was criteria within, like, some fun add-ons. Anyway, Sherelle, I interrupted you there. And and I'll say this. Watching this Gonzaga team, I've been sitting here thinking, hmm. They could give the 09 team some trouble. And then I listened to Dewey talking. I'm like, yeah, maybe not. And it's funny that the 09 team had the four bigs when everybody was healthy that were 
talking about this year. But anyway, I digress. And really, with. Tommy, listening to do we go through that? I mean, I, I think Kispert's ability to, to stretch the floor would be problematic for Dion. And I think Jalen Suggs is a is a heck of a player. Uh, but junior year, Tyler Lawson, I think, was the best player on that team. Um, and that's that's with Hansbro, who's probably the second best player in the country. Um, yeah, so head-to-head, I, we can talk about the stats and everything, but just hearing Dewey go through the roster, I, I don't – And we didn't even talk about there. the – we didn't even talk about the guy who has three NBA rings. Right. right. We didn't even talk about it. it, it I've been watch, – I watched uh, Zach Snyder's Justice League. Like, I finished it all four hours the other day. Um, <laughs> take you a week? It actually did take me a week. I was watching like 30 minutes at a time when the babies were sleeping, you know, just trying to fit it in whenever I could. Um, but it reminds me, you know, we talk about Ty, of just like – Everybody is like, oh, we're we're really good as a Justice League. We've got Batman and Aquaman and Wonder Woman. We've got Ty. I mean, we've got Tyler. We've got Danny. We've got Marcus. It's like you need Superman in the end to come in and kind of close things out. And that's what Lawson was that year. I mean, it was like, you know, just go back to the LSU game. You know, he's on one foot and it looks dire for UNC. Like, wow, they're going to end this way after coming all the way back from that Kansas meltdown, you know, they're back in the second round, they're in Raleigh, UNC never loses in state in the NCAA tournament. And Ty just comes out and just, you know, almost beats LSU in the second half by himself and off they went. Um, so it, it, to me, it reminds me of like Superman coming back at the end of Justice League, the kind of Ty Lawson deal, <laughs> because at his, at his best, just like Superman at his best, there wasn't anybody that season who could do anything with him. No. Guys, in practice, when he had a full head of steam and he was dribbling at me, I used to guess. I would just say left, and I would like hope that he went He like went, went that way. Like a yeah. goalie? Yeah. Like a goalie and a penalty <laughs> kick. I would guess because he was so fast and so strong. There's nothing else you could do. So do we agree that uh, that I'm going to win money from Luke and Gregory Dewey that it's going to be Gonzaga and Baylor in the finals? What I have been on your side this yes, entire you have. time. Oh, yeah. I, I didn't even it was need me. Baylor. I just took Gonzaga. Yeah, it was, it was so me. D- so, Dewey, before just to catch you up to speed, before the, se- before the tournament starts, I took Gonzaga and Baylor and gave them everybody else. Mm-hmm. And, and to Gregory's credit, he's been on the Gonzaga train. I just don't see anybody beating Gonzaga and or Baylor. Yeah, I, I hadn't seen Baylor really until yesterday. And, uh, you know, they're athletic. That kid Mitchell, he he's a lot like Ty, honestly. Mm-hmm. He doesn't shoot it very well, but, man, his ability to get to the rim and pressure the ball and his strength. Um, and he's got four inches on Ty. That's what's – He's a disruptor. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's probably a good bet. Um, I'm going to go watch this this Michigan game because I haven't seen them. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's Gonzaga's tournament to lose, it, it would appear. And then all those those debates can rage on about, you know, what team was better. But, you know, we focused on Ty in our conversation. Uh, but, you know, and then we didn't talk about Danny, who's done what he's done, how good Wayne was, the most outstanding player. We didn't really talk about him. And then we have, you know, the – the greatest Carolina player ever statistically in the post. And as good as Timmy is, I haven't seen him enough to really comment on it. But just like I said, I've never seen a guard that could defend Ty Lawson. I've never seen a big play as hard or with as much heart as Tyler. Biased, of course. But those two arguments hold water, and we have both guys. So I just, you know, we'd have been tough. We'd have been tough to beat. 
man, that'd be fun to be able to watch those games. I wish they could figure out a way to <laughs> simulate it. I mean, video games are not quite the same, but it would have been fun to watch. Dewey Burke, I'm going to let you go so you can get back to watching these games. I appreciate you popping in on the Inside Carolina podcast, my man. Yeah, guys. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. See y'all. Yeah, we'll Hi, talk Dewey. soon. Thanks, Dewey. Quick interruption, right. Tommy. Yeah, baseball. We've been talking a lot about football and basketball, but baseball is in a dogfight with ECU right now. ECU just hit two two-run home runs in the bottom of the eighth. To oh tie no! At ten apiece, you and it was tied six-six. Angel Zarate had a two-run home run to make it eight-six. UNC got two more runs to make it ten-six, and then the bottom of the eighth, ECU just hit two two-run home runs, and now it's ten to ten. Man, I so, got a text from somebody that said uh, your team just got swept by a one and eight NC State team. So yeah, this weekend was very shocking. Well, when that. you're when your starting pitching is not <sighs> giving you any innings and you're having to rely on your bullpen, I don't care how good your the bullpen, bullpen was great. Right, I don't care how good they are though. If if you're having to rely on them for more than half the game every time out, you got four innings out of Austin Love on Friday. You got two and two thirds out of Alba on Saturday. And then you got one and a third out of Will Sandy on Monday because the Sunday rain out. Yeah. And NC State. I mean, you're not winning terrible. anything. No. All right, boys, we've picked to use a Buck Sanders phrase. We've picked all the feathers off this on the beat podcast. Is there anything we have not discussed? Any questions in the chat, Gregory, that we've missed? Any questions on the inside Carolina message boards that we've missed? I know that the only like recurring thing in the chat, which we kind of alluded to as far as like assumptions was just like a Garrison and Armando update. If Shrell has anything of note to add, I think people might appreciate a short little thing i would say our most recent update is on the uh premium board um good there you go <laughs> i think you could find the information there uh not trying to be coy or anything but um yeah i think those those are seem to be seem to be again like we talked about with the portal earlier um you never know what could change but those seems to be the last two decisions that north carolina um, is awaiting because not everybody who is staying is going to do a big I'm staying announcement. So um, no news is good news, I think, is what we we said the other day uh, with uh, guys you maybe haven't heard anything about. Yeah, and on the then, Inside Carolina Live show, I said, when is no news? What's the no news we're not hearing? That's the good news or something like that. Anyway, go ahead, Gregory. And then last one will be, would be a football question that we never really got to. Someone asked, um, I put it in here. Uh, most Best improved team. player on defense that we've seen, Greg? Hmm, that's a good question. Um, it's easy to go with uh, Eugene Asante there just from what we've seen and kind of what we've heard. that the, There doesn't appear to be much of a drop-off from where Chaz was with what Eugene has shown early, and that's kind of what they were hoping for. Right. Uh, he's kind of the key piece there. Um well, and yeah. with that, before you pick someone else, um, I was thinking about this the other day. I don't think it's as much as Chaz to Eugene as Jeremiah to Chaz, like Jeremiah to what Chaz was, and then Eugene to what Jeremiah was. I think if they get that, then they'll be extremely happy. Yeah, and I think the good thing for this defense is, and we're going to be talking about this a lot, I have a feeling in the fall. Uh, Jeremiah has always been a great quote. He's always been willing to say stuff that's not totally PC. He's very smart. He is very smart. Um, and he, he he doesn't mind saying, look, we messed up in this regard. This is where we screwed up. 
there's value in that. I mean, Marcus Page, I, I'll never forget. I guess it was after he lost to Indiana. Uh, I think that was his freshman year. But you know, he'd, he'd been playing for a couple weeks. And he was, like, detailing, like, where things had broken down. And I'm like, wait a minute, what? Like, we don't get this kind of stuff. And to, uh, maybe this is me, you know, as a reporter, reading too much into things. But that's always stuck with me with Jeremiah. And I've probably requested him for interviews more than anybody on this team in the last two years. So to have a guy like that who's, who's playing well, for one, uh, but has really assumed leadership capabilities. I don't know if you noticed on Saturday, Gregory, but, I mean, he was bouncing around. Even when, like, the third and fourth string guys were in, he was on the field celebrating with them, congratulating them. That means a lot. And for a, mm-hmm. for a defense that needs to take another level, another step to reach another level, to, to help this team reach its goals, I think that's critically important. And so he's a guy I've really got my eye on, uh, kind of emerging as, as, a, as a key piece of the puzzle for UNC next year. My defensive improvement guy is Jacarius Conley. I mean, yeah. he is all over the field, and someone brought that up, brought him up in the chat as kind of like, is he the improved guy? And for me, yes, him and Tony Grimes, I think. I think it's Conley, Grimes, Asante in that order for me. Um, just for where Conley was at the beginning of last season to where he ended and where and the talk that Bateman and these guys have about him, it's kind of – it's night and day difference from when he said on the field. Cause obviously Grimes had the hype. It was like, Oh, he's supposed to be a high school senior and all that stuff. But then he really showed, but Jacarius Conley was not really talked about at the beginning of the season. Um, and when you were talking about with what Jeremiah does, Brian Anderson is that guy on offense on Saturday. Mm-hmm. Yep. When um, we were watching the O-line go against the D line and Jaleel Taylor was constantly shredding guys. Um, when Malik McGowan stepped up and was the first person to stop Jaleel BA almost tackled Malik. Like he, he almost like, and Malik McGowan is barely even in the reserves as far as for playing time on the offensive line right now. And Brian Anderson was all over him and the offensive offensive line is pretty crazy. They're a bunch of, they're loud and they're uh, psychopaths for lack of better term. Um, but yeah, so that's just what I wanted to wrap up, Tommy. Sorry to take over host duties. No, no, that was perfect. And, and I've never met offensive linemen that's not crazy. And that includes the ones we've had on this podcast. And shout out to them. I love them. But big time offensive lines are nuts and they're mean. They're nasty. Uh, last question. And I'll ask you, Greg, and then we'll wrap up. And Sherelle, I really appreciate you stepping in and joining us. I don't think you expected to be here for about an hour. Um, but, you know, the party never ends and we all stay together. <laughs> Uh, Greg, how important is it, or is it just semantics that uh, Mac Brown got his rollover five-year contract or whatever, but more importantly, the assistant coaches getting the three-year deals? Is that a big deal, or is that just semantics? I think it's a big deal, um, because if you remember you know, the Fedora final days, when things weren't looking, looking to f- close strongly for him, uh, you know, UNC wasn't willing to extend some of those contracts and that ruffled some feathers. Um, and that just means that, Hey, you're going to have to produce to earn the money. And I have no, no problem with that. I mean, I, I think if you're being paid a lot of money and uh, you're being paid to produce then you should produce. So I think the fact that UNC is, is willing to go that route um, and to make sure all these guys have significant deals and not only that, but they're paying these guys at a high level. And one thing Mac Brown has, has harped on is, 
they really made a push this past year to get their coaches paid up to like a top 15, top 20 level. And as Mac told them, look, guys, we got you to here. Now, once the team starts playing up to a top 10 level, we'll get you some more money. And I think Bubba's completely on board with that. And I like that. I think that's, that's very smart. And, you know, if the team tanks and it's not very good the next couple of years, I think you're going to see some of those three-year deals maybe not work out. But as long as the team is successful and you're trying to build the program, I think it's perfect. I think, I think it says a lot about how Bubba's running things. And I think it shows that him, that he and, and Mac are uh, kind of in unison in their approach. Um, and so anytime you have unity between the athletic director and, and the head coach of the football team and you're having success, uh, that's great for the program. It also has guys on the staff that want to build a program and don't just want to be in a top 10 position and get top 10 money and underperform. Right. So I think that's important too. Yep. Absolutely. Sherelle, uh, I'll let you be in the basketball guy. I close with a football take. <laughs> oh, these are hot takes, Tommy. Two things. Uh, because my favorite guys, they need some love. Emory Simmons will lead UNC in receiving next year. Hope wow. North Carolina stand up. And in the shocker of the season, DJ Jones will lead North Carolina in rushing next season. Cumberland County will serve North Carolina well. I will uh, mention that to Joey Powell because I'm <laughs> sure another Vietnam guy will be uh, enjoying <laughs> yes. the shout outs. It, it has been fun, guys. Y'all got to stick together. We stick together. We do. Yeah. <laughs> Good times, bad times. You always got to stick together. <laughs> it has been fun, guys. It's been the On The Beat podcast. We've been live for a little over an hour and a half. And we've wow. had over 100 viewers for the last since before Rel got here. So it's been awesome. Again, it has been two, fun. Two weeks in a row absolutely we're building this and, and you guys that are listening uh we will decide who asked the best question and i will get your information from you via twitter or on the message boards and we'll send you some inside carolina swag join us on the inside carolina live show just a a tease for that interviewed a nfl scout today um, from the nfl network um and he his interview will be a part of the ic live on saturday on wchl 97.9 streaming on Chapelboro. Sherelle McMillan, Greg Barnes, Gregory Hall. It's always been fun, but this is it. I'm getting out of here. I'm going to watch uh, the rock fight that is Michigan at UCLA. (laughs) On the beat, Johnny T-shirt, InsideCarolina.com. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Tom. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com. Brought to you by JohnnyT-shirt.com. Where to go for your next Tar Heel gear purchase. What's up, y'all? This is four-time NBA champ Andre Iguodala. Yo, and this is his best friend, the Ohio State legend, Evan Marcel Turner the first. Every Wednesday, we drop a new episode on our show, Point Four. We're talking basketball, business, and all the culture in between. From locker room stories to some basketball analysis from those who've been in the game. Now, it is a do-bet. Do average 29 and 11. God, what it take to be an all-star? A win. Subscribe to Point Forward, the podcast, so you don't miss a thing.